They say that every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. But some stories start in the middle and end where you least expect. To begin our second season, we're telling two stories that would have ended very differently if not for a well-timed intervention. In the first, three sisters keep each other grounded while jumping over a series of life's hurdles. In the second, a war machine is rescued from its violent past and given new life as a work of public art. When life turns to lemons, make it rain lemonade. Welcome back to Brooklyn, USA. Here are the Shepherd Sisters. And during a race, my head is trying to sing songs. I think of the song, all I do is win, 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 I never work. My name is Rain Shepherd. I'm 12, and my favorite race is the 3000. Rain, Ty, and Brooke Shepard have been running competitively since 2015. You're thinking about songs while you're running? What are you thinking about? Nothing. My name is Ty Shepard. I'm 13 years old, and my favorite race is the hurdles. Mm-hmm. Just running. I think of steps, so like what pace I'm going to go. Like one, two, I'm one. Brooke, and I'm 10 years old, and my favorite race is the 1500. I go on the beat, you get it? Is anyone listening to my technique? I've always liked running because we used to like always run to um, home. I used to race rain because Brooke couldn't keep um, up that much. I beat you. Be quiet. I, I didn't. I beat you. Like Only once rain. I beat you every other time. It was by grace that the girls started track at this time. That's their mom, Tanya Handy. It was January when their babysitter took them to Pratt Institute and enrolled them in the Colgate women's games. I remember I forgot my shorts, so I had to run in my joggers. Just three months later, we were given uh, an eviction notice. Weeks after signing up for the largest women's track and field series in the country, Tanya and the girls moved into a shelter. I remember we, 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 had, we, had, we had a shelter in Queens, and that was better. That was a, It was a motel in Queens. And when, it was a motel. And they had those nice fries. It was so, yes those fries. We took each day as it came. It was only one room with two beds, the bathroom, yeah, and then two beds. the TV. That means we woke up in the morning and we left to either go to school or to track practice. It was during that time they joined Jeunesse, an all-girl youth track club in Brooklyn. And I mean, there's never a good time <laughs> to be homeless, but at the time they started to run. This was the perfect time because it it occupied their minds. Oh my okay. gosh! So it's rain very strict. It's rain Tuesday. It's rain Tuesday. It's rain Thursday. Um, from uh, from five thirty to what now? Like seven. Five thirty to seven something. So yeah. track to us means hope. We were actually very happy kids at that time. We still are, but. Gene and Coach Carol, they made us even happier because we were all like a big family and they trained us like we would actually become Olympians. Ty, the oldest, specializes in sprint hurdles. Mm -hmm. Just running. Brooke, the youngest, discovered a talent for high jump, despite the fact that Janess doesn't have high jump equipment for her to practice on. I think of steps. And Rain runs longer distance races, like the 1500 meter. That's almost a mile, and she can run it in four minutes and 47 seconds. Running is like a sanctuary for me. If I'm having a bad day, I go to track practice like, yes! I don't know why I say that to myself, because track practice is hard, 
hard. 13, 14, 400 meters in the top seven. Ty Shepard, Kayla Hill, Layla James, Rain Shepard, Jamila Jackson, and also making a return visit, Brooke Shepard. Very good, Brookie. They talk about track as if it was always a part of them. For Ty, Brooke, and Rain, Jeunesse isn't just an after-school activity. Same sneaker club. They all have on the same sneakers. All my coaches give me pep talks. Jordan, how you feel? Gene says, come on. Coach Javon, usually his pep talk is like, relax. Coach Carol, she says, she always tells you to listen to her and focus on what she's saying. All right, one more. Walk. Go out there and show them, show them what you got or something. Or, yeah, something like that. Well, we need some earrings. We beautiful. Me and you. That's Carol, one of the Jeunesse head coaches. Don't let nobody say nothing different. Uh, Missy, I should have called you. She needs some product for her hair. The week of the Colgate finals, Rain got a haircut, and she hated it. You can't cry forever. You understand? Be grateful for what you do have. You have two hands, you have two legs, you got a brain. All right? do a little catching up with a family we met on The View, whose strength and determination personify what it means to be champion. On the track, it's easy to see the Shepherd sisters are special. They're heading to Texas to compete in the AAU Junior Olympic Games. So, please welcome Tanya Handy and her three Junior Olympians, Brooke, Wayne, and Tom. Shepherd, Brooklyn, New York. Okay, I don't know what happened, but this guy came. Well, Jane turned us up came. for some type of magazine. The first, our first um, um, news reporter, they came to practice, and he videotaped us, and we got on the news, and then other people just came. Ladies and gentlemen. In 2016, a year after the Shepherd Sisters discovered track, they were named Sports Illustrated Sports, 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 Sports Kids of the Year. Ty, Rain, and Brooke Shepherd. And after a media appearance on The View, Tyler That's Perry right. offered to pay their rent for two years. They did so wonderful. They made, I guess you would say, lemonade out of <laughs> lemons. God bless, bless up. Make some more noise for the future. What we say to the kids who like like us and what what to say to inspire them. I'm first. I'm next. When we became homeless, my first thought was to keep them in their schools, keep them in their neighborhoods, and then when they excelled in running, I felt like not only did they have a place in this world, but they had a place right here in Brooklyn. Keep going. Don't let anybody get in your way. Don't let nobody judge you. Stay who you want to be. Don't change yourself for somebody else and their, except your mom, for their likings. Um, keep trying and stay in school. That was my line. Today, Tanya and the girls are living in an apartment of their own in Brooklyn. And get counseling. And never lose hope because hope is a place of happiness. That was a line for Disney. Shh, don't say that. Oh. They're editing, it's fine.
What happens when an object that embodies the systemic violence of war is reimagined as a platform for creative expression? One artist summoned a team of fellow makers and activists to the gallery at Brickhouse to find out. Here's Mary. So when you first walk into the gallery at Brick, you'll see parts of an LMTV, a light medium tactical vehicle, cut up and reconfigured. The bed of the truck has become a platform or a stage. The cab of the truck has become a DJ booth. Parts of tires, doors to nowhere, ladders to nowhere, boxes with objects and parts of the truck that are bundled. My name is Mary Mattingly and I'm an artist, work in sculpture. I'm Jenny Jarreau, I'm the assistant curator here at Brick. So, so the truck was made all over the world and then it was manufactured and put together in the United States. And then it went to the Gulf War and then to Afghanistan and then came back to Fort Dix, New Jersey. And it was in a boneyard in Fort Dix waiting to be auctioned off for years. I was able to win that truck at auction. For $4,000. I mean, you can buy a 20-foot truck for $4,000, which is really insane. I'd say most of the trucks go for more than that, but this one was very decommissioned and lots of things weren't working about it. So people usually buy them for farms and you can't really use them on roads for the most part. The way that the truck is set up right now is directly due to a team of 12 performance artists or public space activists who were able to, to convene at Brick when the truck was brought in and determine its second life. The process of putting this exhibition together was supposed to be very collaborative and transformative. So this truck would have this, this first life it was born from these minerals to the second life its use in the Gulf War and in Afghanistan and then it came back to the United States. And then we're hoping for a, a very transformative present and future from it. Early estimates suggest Hurricane Florence may have caused as much as $22 billion in damage, potentially making it one of the top 10 most costly hurricanes in U.S. history. This neighborhood where rescues are happening nonstop flooded more than 10 feet in areas in mere hours, an example of the disaster and its fury. This morning, Hurricane Irene is quickly strengthening as it cuts a path of destruction toward the Bahamas. A new report shows Hurricane Maria is officially the most deadly U.S. natural disaster in the last century. Mary and I have been talking a lot about the topical issues that are related to thinking about political ecology and the environment. One of them has to do with the fact that now a lot of the military vehicles, similar to the one that's currently in the gallery, is now used in disaster relief. And this is 
ironic because to a certain extent the military is the largest consumer of energy on the planet and they're then creating new military vehicles to then combat climate change um, so they produce climate change and then they're continuing to do so through the making of these objects and certainly with Florence this is like something that we're all readying for even though it's now now a category two but still I think it's um, interesting and Mary has kind of a specific relationship to this with Hurricane Harvey and has some understanding of it more than I do. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier with uh, one of the collaborators who's based in Houston, Paul Middendorf, was sharing stories about LMTVs being used for rescue during Hurricane Harvey. And we're also seeing articles now that are within the last week where these same LMTV trucks are, like people have bought them for farms and they're using them to, to rescue people from flooded areas. And it's very circuitous. There's a large map on the back wall that addresses the supply chain for this LMTV truck. So where the minerals are mined, smelted, manufactured into parts, and then distributed. I think of it in terms of extractivism and the connection with we'll say the dominant culture right now, which could be directly connected to extraction and stocks and essentially taking something that's living and killing it and producing this thing called money. With the pain of that object, the weight of that object, the stories from that object, can they be held on to at the same time as transformed into something? that could point to a different world was the initiative or the impulse. It's so pervasive to try to understand the scale and the decentralization of that and the neo-colonialism that happens from this type of indentured slavery basically where the conditions are so bad for harvesting minerals and it's covered up in such complex ways that not even the companies know where the minerals are coming from sometimes because they're brokered and then they're brought to a smelter and then they're brokered again. It's very realistic to think that a company like Apple might not know where they're harvesting lithium or cobalt from. Although, they probably do. That's been really fascinating to try to wrap my head around and understand in terms of the work that we all do and how it's either part of a system or it's trying to pave another path and how it can't really do that on its own ever. The most powerful way to change a system is to change the purpose of the system. 
the, the way that we can think about changing systems is, is coalition-based and nothing can happen by itself. Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias, with Emily Bogosian, Mira Al-Rahim, and Sasha Whittle, who won the Best Young Creator Award at the 2018 Urban World Film Festival for her documentary, Three in Stride. You can watch the whole thing at vimeo.com slash bricktv. Thanks to Jenny Giroux and Mary Mattingly for walking us through the minefield where war, climate change, and politics mix. The exhibition, What Happens After, is on view through November 11th in the gallery at Brickhouse in downtown Brooklyn. This episode featured music from the DeWolf Music Library. If you like what you hear, think we got something wrong, or just want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us at Brick Radio, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio. I like the alumni attention and stuff because it's really fun because I want to be famous and stuff so it's already like a pre-famous and then they'll see my real talents when I'm an adult. She likes to sing. Opera. I don't know if she likes that. It's not that. opera. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Singing. <laughs> you, just because I'm a soprano doesn't mean I'm an opera singer. No, you are opera. <laughs>